Welcome to another edition of the Plunge Pod, and uh, I'm with Nate again here, and so let's get right into it. We got a bunch of uh, things to talk about today. Our main topic is um, the preview of the Western Conference in the NBA, but before that, we're going to go through this week in sports. So, um, first up, we got the Eagles and the Saints. Uh, They pull off the 24-21 win with Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback, and he threw for 167 yards and a touchdown. And, yeah, he played pretty well. So what are your thoughts on on watching Jalen Hurts, Nate? Yeah, this is a story that's been covered for a while with the whole Wentz benching situation. And it was cool to me to see Hurts go out there and look so great against what's been a great Saints defense so far this year against the pass and the run. Hurts showed off good mobility. He's not throwing much down the field. I mean, a lot of short options to running backs and slot receivers. But he really held the ball well, ran well. He helped the offensive line increase their confidence by eluding defenders. And they've been giving up tons of sacks this season, which has really hurt them and their confidence in both the run game and pass blocking. And the time of possession for the Eagles in this game really helped their defense get going. It's been tough for the Eagles' defense going on three and outs every game, playing around 40 minutes on the defensive side while the offensive side plays 20. And so it was good to see all around that this team responded well to Jalen Hurts starting. And I really think that Wentz is going to be crushed by this. I mean... He's already seen Nick Foles excel as an eagle, and now he gets to see another player step in front of him and fill the shoes that he couldn't due to injury before in their Super Bowl run. And now due to a poor performance, it really hurts Carson Wentz overall. He's going to have a crushed mental, and I could see him being traded to a team like the Bears next year where they don't have options at quarterback, but... I believe this is the end of Wentz's stint in Philly. Yeah, I, I, I think it was a do-or-die season for him this year just because they drafted Hurts, and the Eagles just see how fragile he could potentially be. Um, he tore his ACL. He had some back problems. Um, and yet, and the thing about Nick Foles, like, yeah, he, he's just prone to being replaceable. So, And yes, they had injuries to the wide receivers earlier this season, but I think it is what it is. You can't. You can't really move on with Jalen Hurts. You got to keep him on your team if you're the Eagles, and you got to move on from Wentz. So I, I agree with you in terms of trades. So, yeah. That being said, how about we move on to Monday night's game, which was between the Browns and Ravens, two teams battling it out for the division. The Ravens pull off the win, forty-seven forty-two, after a late field goal and a safety, which screwed over some betters this week. Oh, a, lo- a lot of betting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> what'd you see from this game, Jacob? Um, it, it was an entertaining game. Like I was watching the highlights, and and you could just see how how crazy the last bit of the game was, especially when uh, Lamar Jackson comes back from from cramping and. And everyone's saying like, "Oh, that's like he just pulled a Paul Pierce," which is I find absolutely hilarious. Um, but him uh, coming back onto the field, uh, leading them to that last drive, and and just clutching up, I think I think it's really um, a season saver for the Ravens because they weren't doing so well the past couple of weeks, and I think this game right uh, on Monday really helped their momentum in terms of getting that that playoff spot. So, yeah, my only issue with the Ravens at this point is they're still solely a run-based offense I mean Lamar Jackson had some throws he hit Hollywood Brown a couple times for some big gains but overall you look at that team and they really are do or die on the run and against tough run defenses like the Steelers they may continue to struggle but this game really taught me a lot about the Browns Baker Mayfield, after being a one-read quarterback for so long, looks great. He's throwing the ball all around the field. And removing OBJ from that offense has really allowed him to spread out the the touches to the rest of the receivers. He looks confident. The power of the run game has really allowed him to cut down on those turnovers and make good plays within this offense. They are reliant on the run and baker mayfield is more of a complimentary piece but he's like really comfortable in that role and 
they could be a serious threat to teams outside of Kansas City in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I. In terms of the Browns, though, like people say, they only beat the the bad teams and they lose against the good teams, and and they may have their case proven on Monday when they lost to the Ravens. But I think, I think the Browns are still a really good team. Uh, Mayfield has really improved. I think their win against the Titans the other week showed that they can beat good teams in the AFC. It just depends on what the team's strength is. I was surprised to see that they gave up so many yards rushing to yeah. the Ravens after really stuffing Derrick Henry the week before. But Yeah. All right, moving on. Giannis Antetokounmpo finally signs his extension, the extension that everyone was waiting for. Five years, $228 million. Nate, what are your thoughts about this contract and what this means for the league? Yeah, I've been a Giannis fan for the past few years, and I'm really happy that he stayed. I mean, it's a really old school choice sticking with your team and trying to become the best player and beat the best players to become crowned the best player. I think Giannis, coming from Greece, he doesn't grow up in this culture in the U.S. where they play with the best players in AAU. They play with the best players in high school. They play with the best players in college. He was always the best player in Greece when he was playing, and he continues to allow the striving to be the best to drive him, and he doesn't seem like somebody who is too concerned about his legacy and how many championships he's won. He's really concerned about winning with the team that he was drafted by, and Reminds me a lot of Dirk Nowitzki, obviously a similar situation where he's an international player drafted by Dallas and stayed there throughout his career despite championship windows dwindling with the Steve Nash, Michael Finney era passing. But Giannis made a great choice here. He made a choice that makes me respect his game and it's really promising for parity in the league as we go forward. So what do you think about this signing? Yeah. I mean, what, what you're saying about um, him coming from Europe and we're going to do another episode on more deep on, on like AAU teams in the U S and how that forms super teams. But um, other than the guys you listed, like Dirk, um, I can only think of one guy who, who has the same mentality as Giannis, who's not European. And that's Damian Lillard in terms of, loyalty and what you bring to the table in terms of how long you want to stay with the team and just seeing Giannis sign that five-year extension I think it says a lot to to how loyal the guy is and and what you're saying as well coming from Europe not from um, AAU teams in the U.S. It, it just shows that he he really has that um, heart for the city he has um, the drive to win to to bring that city championship so I think it it's really good for him and, and the city. Um, in terms of the league, though, it it really just messes people's strategy up now because you had, you know, the Miami Heat, maybe um, the Raptors, like these all these bunch all these teams that were uh, making cap space for him for next season. Now are like, okay, what are we gonna do? We gotta look forward into next year's free agency. Who's gonna be available? Um, so I think that really changes the the game plans a lot of GMs here. So. Yeah, it definitely hurts in some sense. I think if he went to Dallas, you're looking at the next five years of at least making the Western Conference Finals for Dallas, probably being favored in almost every year to win the championship. And your point about Damian Lillard, you can draw some similar conclusions. He didn't grow up international, but he was a small school player at Weber State. And he didn't play with all the best guys because he wasn't the top recruit in high school. And so you can see how that yeah. plays out in the NBA in some way. So, Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on. Last topic before uh, we go on to our Western Conference preview. Last night, we did our fantasy draft. And it was insane. Um, I, I think my team is mad stacked. Like, I, I got a stacked team. I, I think Nate's got a really good team, too. I think we're going to see each other in the finals, but what are your what are your takeaways in terms of the players you drafted and your strategy, Nate? Yeah, well, there were some early round picks. I got the second pick last night, and I went back to Luka Doncic after being so successful for me last season. But 
really what I'm interested in in the drafts is finding value in the late rounds because there's nothing quite like picking a player in the seventh or later rounds who turns out to be a top 40 player during the season. So I got really excited about a few players that I picked after the 50th pick. De'Aaron Fox at number 50, Michael Porter Jr. at number 63, and Deontay Murray with my last pick. De'Aaron Fox has been a great contributor for the Kings over the past few years. His three-point percentage really dipped last year, but I see him as being a great assist guy. He's got Bagley back. He's got Hassan Whiteside back. That that team is going to have a lot of lobs thrown, and Darren Fox is going to benefit with a greater assist percentage and greater assist per game number and his points should stay about stay so he's someone I'm really excited about because he could be a nightly double-double threat with 22 and 10. Michael Porter Jr. continues to develop and he was a great player last year with limited playing time. I think you can see him at the power forward and small forward a lot this season for Denver playing around 30 to 35 minutes a game. He can shoot, he can get to the basket, he can do all the things that you would look for out of a scoring superstar. So I'm really excited about him to pick him up at 63. Is kind of a high ceiling, low four player, so it could bust, but he has a lot of value in the league already. I think you'll see his potential really really evolve into a lot of regular season production this year. And Deontay Murray, I mentioned him before, but I see him as a triple-double threat this year, and getting him with the last pick was a big score, so I think you can expect him to be featured in the Spurs offense this year and play some great defense. So these were the picks that really got me excited from this year's fantasy draft. So let's move on to your picks. What, who are you looking at as your greatest impact players this year? So I had the number five pick, and... So the first four picks were Giannis, Doncic, Jokic, and Davis. And I picked Ben Simmons. And this was this was a really iffy pick for me, but I am so confident in Ben Simmons over guys like James Harden, Damian Lillard, uh, Stephen Curry, Carl Anthony Towns, because he's a mini LeBron James. And sure, he has no jumper, but if you look at his, his stats and his usage... He is a monster offensively and defensively. He can finish anyone in the paint. He can find his teammates. He's got great court vision. So I think having having that as a threat, uh, being a triple-double every night, we get, oh yeah, by the way, we get 15.5 points for players who get triple-double. Um, so having him being a triple-double threat over guys like Damian Lillard adds more value to the team. And just because teams are are figuring out ways to guard Damian Lillard, where they can get the ball out of his hands, where they can trap him, which takes him takes out a lot of um, his deep threes, and even even just guarding him in general, like they're gonna guard him heavily uh, behind the three point line. So I think if you have Ben Simmons, um, and you and you're the opposing team guarding Ben Simmons, you're gonna give him a lot of space, which gives him room to work with. So, um, and then I got Joel Embiid in the second round. So I am I am now a partial Sixers fan going into this season. And um, I, I'm just excited for that duo. In terms of um, lower tier players that I drafted late in the round, I got Jalen Brown. He's such a solid player. Um, just watching him play last year, and especially just because Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward are not, not on the team. Uh, Walker's injured still, but um, he's going to get a lot of touches with Tatum just because the Celtics have nobody else as their primary scorers on that team. You have Daniel Tice. Sure, Mark is smart, but he can he can go like three for fourteen one night, right? And and so I think a lot of the touches are going to go to Jalen Brown. He's he's a guy who is going to be ball dom- dominant um, during games. So I also drafted James Wiseman. Um, I don't think he's going to do that well to start the season. At least at least for the first few games, he's going to come off the bench. I think, but just because of of what the Warriors think about him, his teammates. And how they say he's he's ready for the NBA and all that. I I trust them, and I trust Steve Kerr that he he has to play Wiseman. And so I think I'm pretty pretty confident about Wiseman peaking later in the season. 
Um, other players that I got were Sabonis, who was really solid. Um, another late round pick was Kobe White and Dylan Brooks. Those two guys are are both two young guys, and on their teams there there isn't too much scoring outside of you know Zach Levine and John Morant. So given that these players have proved that they can score last year, um, they'll get a lot of touches as well. So I think my my draft strategy this year was to get players with high usage, high minutes, and on teams that that will play them a lot, um, as well as not taking any high risk players as Nate. Nate has, but I I think I'm pretty confident in the picks that I've made in terms of just um, the security of of each player on their team and just just their high floor. So, any other thoughts about our league or or any other teams? No, not too much. Uh, we'll post our teams on our Instagram account, and you guys can give your opinion on who is the winner this year. If you want to go and check that out, you can check that out shortly after this episode, and. Yeah, I mean, we should have a great fantasy year this year. It's going to be more unpredictable than ever with COVID. You may see your best players miss a couple weeks, a couple important weeks even. And so that is where the drafting this year is less crucial than it was in years before. But the keys to a good draft remain the same and looking at high usage, good playmakers, good defenders who don't turn over the ball much. So... Yeah, go and check out our teams after this. Anyways, we will uh, we'll get on to our next topic now, which is our main topic of this podcast. After going through the East last podcast, we're going to make our way through the Western Conference rankings from 1 to 10. So, Jacob, will you give us your 1 to 10 in the Western Conference first? All right, 1 to 10. I got from top to bottom. Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavs, Blazers, Jazz, Warriors, Suns, Rockets, Pelicans. So, um, what do you want to start with, Nate? Do you want to stop at the top or the bottom? Yeah, um, I have a very similar list to you. Uh, I also have the Lakers and Clippers 1 and 2, so how about we start there? Sure, alright. So, it. I, I, don't know, I don't think we should spend too much time on the, the top tier here. Um, we already know what we're going to get from the Lakers. Like, there's just been too much hype around ESPN and, and all the sports media talking about how good they are and they have the best offseason and all that. So I think you, you're you going to expect what you're going to expect um, from the Lakers this season. The Clippers, yeah, they're, they're still really good D- despite their horrid playoff run last year. They are still a good squad. Um, you just can't beat two wing defenders in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and anywhere you can't get those two defenders of that caliber in this league so just having those two guys and, and having a new coach in Tyron Lue um and even adding Serge Ibaka um who was Kawhi's former teammate a couple of years ago will help the chemistry and, and which is the biggest problem that they have so in terms of the Clippers I think they'll do pretty well this season um time will tell if they'll do in the playoffs as well but in terms of just their roster and looking at it, it it's just too good. Like there's there's hardly any flaws on that team. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, with the Lakers, they have been rumored to have the best off season this this year, and I don't agree with that. But I do see Schroeder and Harold contributing more as regular season players. Harold averaged nineteen and seven last year and he's a great regular season player as you can see from this last playoffs not quite as effective in the playoffs and Schroeder was awesome last year for OKC coming off the bench there he'll be starting this year but he is continually a good player who gives you a lot of playmaking ability and gives you points from all spots on the floor good finisher shoots at mid-range that's his marquee shot and his three-point shot isn't bad But I think in the long run, losing Howard and Rondo in the playoffs hurts them. Last year, Howard matched up with Jokic a lot. Although not the most statistically effective, he really got into Jokic's head at times and helped them to power through that Denver series. And Rondo was fantastic all playoffs. So I think those losses will come back to haunt them in some ways, although this team should still be favored to win the championship, which they properly are in sports betting at this point. 
And the Clippers should be better this year, I think, because you're looking at improvement from Paul George last year. He was out to start the season, and he's just going to gain more comfort playing within that system. I believe that taking away Harrell from that team is addition by subtraction in some ways, although you lose some productivity that team becomes a lot more cohesive and functional. And Ibaka is friends with Kawhi, plays well with other players. He's played with Westbrook. He's played with Durant. He's played with Kawhi before, Kyle Lowry. He's really an adaptable player. He can play the four, the five. He offers good rim protection, and he can shoot the three. So you should expect the Clippers to improve this year, and the Lakers will definitely improve in the regular season. Although in the playoffs, I still have my questions about their offseason moves and how they'll reflect in the playoffs. You know, the the biggest thing that I saw that the Clippers improved upon is shooting. Because they got Luke Kennard and Nicholas Batum and Serge Ibaka, who can all, who are all way better shooters than, let's say, like Landry Shamit or Montrez Harrell and Jermichael Green, right? So I think that big upgrade that the Clippers had in, in shooting will really, um, you know, boost them up the season. And so we'll, we'll see where that goes. So I think let's move on to the, the lower tier three to six. Um, so, so no nuggets, Mavs, Blazers, and jazz. I think this, this is going to be really, really interesting discussion here in terms of how that's going to be played out. So who do you want to start with first? Yeah, well, I had a slightly different three through six. My three through six was Denver, the Mavs, the Jazz, and the Warriors. So, oh wow! If we can include the Warriors in this conversation along with the Blazers, then that will kick off with that, and we'll start with the number three team. I say Denver as a good young deep team. They have MPJ coming off a year where he really progressed, and he should see that. Ref- evolve into regular season success this year should see him scoring a lot and taking on a bigger load on offense with the loss of Jeremy Grant who was a great postseason player for them last year but he didn't play that much during the regular season so although that is a big loss it shouldn't reflect in their regular season seating and you add to Michael Green too who He's a good offensive player in some ways. He can post up for a smaller guy, and he plays some good defense, shoots a three pretty well. He'll be a good addition for this team. It won't make up for the loss of Jeremy Grant in the playoffs, but it should help to hold them over. So what do you think about Denver? Yeah, they're, they're a solid team. Um, before, I thought they were going to do worse this year just because they lose Jeremy Grant. He's just such a great defender and, and so versatile, but... You know, after watching a couple of preseason highlights from them, you can just tell they still got it. Um, Jokic is probably the best center in the league. He's, he's probably got the best um, IQ of any big in the league. And just the, the role players that you have surrounding him, in like Gary Harris, MPJ, Will Barton even, and Paul Millsap, and, and even Jermichael Green, you just have too many players who are just so adaptable to Jokic's style and... And his his vision and and skill set just fits all the role players on that team, and then you got Jamal Murray who can just take the ball whenever he wants and and, and just take it up a notch when it when the pressure comes. So I think yeah, Denver will will do really well this year in terms of just how they're going to perform in the season. Um, they just got a lot of shooting. They got they got Jokic who's just too solid. I I I would say the only question about the Nuggets is just who their backup center is. And I don't even know if that's going to be a concern, but, you know, for the minutes that Jokic will not play, who's going to take that spot? Because he got, what, Bull Bull or Isaiah Hartenstein? like, Or he can just slide Paul Millsap down to the five. But what are your thoughts on just any of the Nuggets' flaws, if they have any? Yeah, the Nuggets do have some flaws in that they don't have great perimeter defense anymore. Jamal Murray's been weak on defense most of his career and then you have Gary Harris who's a solid defender Michael Porter at the wing who really didn't get a chance to play much last season because his defense was lacking and losing Grant Grant guarded the Kawhis last year he guarded the LeBrons last year he guarded 
in their first round, he guarded Donovan Mitchell a lot, and he was just a really versatile defender. You have Jermichael Green, who you can plug in at those spots, but he doesn't quite have the quickness and agility of a player like Jeremy Grant. But this Denver team has the offensive prowess to to beat teams despite not having the greatest perimeter defense. I see the backup center situation really going to Bobol. Bobol is really talented, and he he has great potential. I don't see him as ever being a 35-minute-a-night kind of guy, but he really provides a mismatch on the floor, and you should see him with a lot of minutes this year as Denver tries to continue to to develop younger talent. Yeah. So let's move on to another team in this division. Who are you looking to discuss? Um, I, I want to get into the Blazers just because they're my favorite team. And, and I, I thought I did them dirty by putting them in the fifth seed, but yeah, I have them at the eighth seed. So come on, man. Um, okay. Here's, here's my argument about the Blazers. They probably had one of the best off seasons out of all the teams in the league. They get Derek Jones, Jr. Robert Covington, who are both great health defenders, athletic, can, can kind of shoot. Um, but that team has has just really good weapons this year, and, and this is probably the best team that they have in the Damian Lillard era. The problem that they had before, even back in 2018, 2019, they built their team around Lillard, but their role players could only do, are only one-dimensional. Like if you remember, you had Mo Harkless and Alfred Aminu, who could defend, but they're not, as offensive threats um, as the team that they have right now. And you had also Ennis Cantor, who could, who's only one unoffensive player, can't really defend. And you had Ed Davis, you know, a backup center. So if you compare that th- those role players to the squad this year, you have Derek Jones Jr., who has the length and the athleticism to defend. And he can be a lob threat on the offensive end. And then you got Robin Covington, who just played for the Rockets last year, who could shoot threes, who can defend, one of the best help defenders in the league. And then you add Yusuf Nurkic coming back. Um, just watching him play in the bubble, he averaged like 20 points, 10 rebounds, and like 4 assists. He's a poor man's Jokic, in my opinion. Um, and and just having that bench of Melo, who you can just give the ball to when your offense kind of just you know stutters. He, he can just be a great... Um, spark off the bench along with harry giles he he is a monster that guy has been playing really well this past preseason um he he can actually really take up Cantor's minutes actually in my opinion because he's just such an athletic guy and and people have looked down on him just because of his injuries in the past few seasons but he's back at 100 percent now and and he was like one of the top picks in in the country before he went down with injuries so just having having those guys and even Gary Trent Jr., they they are set for success. Um, the only thing that's holding them back though is is as I watch them in the preseason, their defensive chemistry is is not there yet, and they made the adjustment this year where um, in the pick and roll when they defend, um, they're gonna hedge, and before they they always drop the big man, and you saw that against the Warriors in the in the conference finals back in 2019, and and Stephen Curry just came, like went off. You know, and and that that adjustment to hedge um, the big man is such a huge adjustment um, to to make in terms of how they're going to play defense this season. And and you saw that in in the past preseason games where they just get destroyed on defense. And opposing teams are just going to um, you know uh, exploit the the weak side defender and CJ McCollum or, or Damian Lillard, they're just going to run the pick and roll on that side. And then like there, there, there's no way that CJ or Dame's going to come help in the paint and, and stop the roll, the rolling big man. And, and so that, that's the only concern I have with the Blazers, but in terms of just how good Lillard is, um, how good of a secondary score CJ is and just bringing Nurk back him being the, the offensive centerpiece that, that kind of actually makes the shape of their offense. It, it's just too good to stop. Like they can score against anybody, but the problem is, is that anybody can score against them still. So they'll be in a lot of tight games this season. Um, only time will tell um, in terms of how how they'll get their defensive chemistry. But I trust the Blazers, I believe. And yeah, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I put them at eight because I clearly have questions about this team. First off, when you look at their backcourt, the best backcourts in NBA history are really built around a duo with at least one great defender. You look at Curry and Clay Thompson, who really is one of the best backcourts in history of the NBA. And Clay Thompson's a great defender. He can take on your number one scoring guard. And with the Blazers, you have CJ McCollum or Damian Lillard, who both can't defend, both are great scoring guards, but their skills aren't complementary. And year in and year out, you see them struggle because their skills aren't complementary with each other. I mean, I was big on advocating for the trade CJ this offseason because Damian Lillard is one of the best players in the NBA, top 10. And he continually can carry an offense, and CJ can carry an offense at times as well. But I feel that their skills are redundant with each other. They don't make up for the areas that they both lack in, and they really overlap a lot. And then my second question with this team is, is Nurkic really that much better than Whiteside? And last season in the bubble, we saw Whiteside and Nurkic go up against the Lakers' front court that included Howard and Davis, and they really struggled. I mean, Nurkic still put up his stats, but he looked soft in there. And Whiteside, he's just a disinterested player part of the time. But the skill gap between Nurkic and Whiteside is minimal. I mean, they have different skill sets. Nurkic is a better passer, but they're still not a team who runs their offense through their center. And therefore, I don't see Nurkic as an overly great upgrade to Whiteside last season. Whiteside had a career year last year, blocked a lot of shots, but... I don't see that front court improving too much. I mean, they have good depth. Harry Giles is an interesting prospect. He was good for the Kings at times last year, and he has a lot of athleticism. I used to watch him play at Duke, and he really, or in high school, sorry, he missed his year at Duke, but he really looked like an explosive player, and he looked like someone who would be going in the top round. So it's a good pickup for them, and you could see him playing a lot of big minutes for the Blazers. But I just don't see how this team, with the addition of Covington, who is a good defender, a good player overall, but really is not a star player. He's a he's a good starter, but nothing more than that. Derek Jones Jr., who didn't play too much last season for the Miami Heat when they were in their playoff run. And I just don't see... Covington and Derek Jones Jr. being guys who increase your team's wins by 10 to 15, which would be necessary to get into that five seed this year. Yeah, I mean, a couple of potential solutions to your two questions. Um, in terms of CJ, um, I, I wanted him to get traded too, but there's no way Neil O'Shea is going to give away CJ. Like, he just loves his two guards so much. Um, but one solution to that is to st- stagger him and Lillard's minutes where CJ plays more of the backup point guard and then you put Gary Trent Jr. with Dame uh, more often just to add that perimeter defender. And then, Yeah, but Gary Trent Jr. has the same problem as those two guards in that he can't defend. And you're really not bringing in someone who can defend that's a good, solid guard for them to pair up with. Yeah, so you could... So if you say that, you could add Derek Jones Jr. and you go... Lillard, Jones Jr., Mello, Nurkic, and Collins when he's back, or you know, or even Rodney Hood. I, I don't I don't know, but yeah, it's it, it's a tough situation in terms of perimeter defense. And and the thing with Nurk, yeah, I, I I totally agree. He's not a really really good defender. He's not as good as Whiteside for sure. He's not a he's not a like a rim protector. Um, but and and he when you watch him play, he's he's a bit sloppy sometimes in terms of his passes and. He he just has that like that one handed palm the ball like you just push the pass over and, and just forces too many passes. So I don't know if that if that's gonna translate into the regular season, but I I think his performance really will tell or, or decide, you know, where where they're gonna land this this season. But they, they have a really huge upside. They could finish anywhere from three to eight, but and for yeah. that reason I have them the fifth seed. Yeah, I just don't think the offensive 
improvements for this team are very important because they are already such a great offensive team last year and their problem was really on the defensive side and they added Covington who's a great addition on the defensive side but they didn't really do anything else to shore that up and defense is partially won by one guy being able to defend a player but if you really want to improve your defense you really have to add more than just one player known for defense yeah and Robert Covington is not uh, he's not like a, a one-on-one defender. He's more of a help defender. So you can't say, oh, let's we're going to put Robert Covington on like Luka Doncic or something. Like He's not going to stop him. Um, they, they are missing that one, one guy who could just stop the ball. And maybe you have faith in Gary Trent Jr., but then again, he's like 6'5". He's not even that tall. So he won't be able to guard the forwards or the, the point forwards of this league. So Yeah, one other player I want to mention in that team is... Anthony Simons I really love this guy since I saw him last year and I think you could look at trading a guy like CJ because your bench depth right now is Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons coming in at the shooting guard slash point guard I like what the Blazers have in some ways but I don't think that they've done enough to shore up their areas where they're struggling and they've continued to struggle over the years yeah, I I don't have too much faith in Simons this year. As much as I like him and as much as as good as a player he is, um, he's just not ready to take that backup point guard role. But that's why I say they should stagger CJ and Dame's minutes this year. Um, so enough about the Blazers. Um, I believe that they'll they'll do well this season, but we'll see. Um, let's move on to another team. Uh, we got Mavs, Jazz, and Warriors. Yeah, well, we'll just skip over the Jazz quickly. I mean, they're a team who comes back with the same team that they had last year Derek favors is back and that'll make joe ingles happy but outside of that solid team i had them at the five spot because they were good last year and mitchell was awesome in the playoffs and they're really just a team who's consistently been good throughout the years so yeah that leads us into another team and how about we tackle the mavs next that's our good team um luka Doncic is an mvp caliber player he's he i think he's gonna win mvp this season um and the the thing is is that uh is christoph Przingis, and that that's the only problem that they have um in terms of his health but when you look at their squad they they added josh richardson who's a very good defender um they they re-signed trey burke who's actually who actually played really well in the bubble as the backup point guard and even having Tim Hardaway Jr., he's he's a good shot creator. He's a very underrated shot creator. And then you still have guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Dwight Powell, um, Maxi Kleber. They they have a very versatile lineup in terms of they can go shooting, they can go defend, defensive. But just having Doncic as as your centerpiece and your franchise player, you you can't really go wrong in terms of that and in, in terms of the offense that you run. Yeah, when I was writing up this list for this podcast i was thinking about if you swap luka Doncic and lebron james are the lakers still the favorite to win the championship that's an interesting question um i would i would think so yeah just because it's Doncic. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean luka is not that far from being the best player in the world i think if you traded them just straight up the maps get worse and the lakers remain the same Luca, he's incredible like he takes all the boxes of being the best player he raises his game when the stakes are high he has mvp type numbers and he makes his team better when he's on the floor in all aspects except maybe defense but he is really becoming the next great one yeah i agree um yeah he's he's gonna win mvp this year um, it's just how versatile he is of a player. Yeah, there's, there's not there's not much else to talk about the Mavs, um, unless you have something else. But um, let's move on to the the Warriors. They're an interesting team this year. Yeah. Okay. So I had the Warriors coming at six in the conference. I mean, clay out kills their championship chances for the most part. But you bring in guys who have good talent in Wiggins and Ubre, and I mean. Guys just excel in that Warriors system. Like, you get guys like Andre Gudala was always a good player, but his first year there and his second year there, 2015, 2016, he was awesome. I mean, he played great defense. He 
He didn't play outside himself in the offense. He didn't chuck up 23s a game, but he played effective offense where they couldn't ignore him on the floor. And he he kind of demonstrates to me that the Warriors culture really raises the play of players. I mean, he was in Denver the year before he came to the Warriors and he was good, but he looked a little bit uninspired. And I think this Warriors culture could do wonders for Andrew Wiggins because Wiggins is continually a guy who underachieves and just doesn't really have motivation to go out there and work hard. And I think that changes with Draymond Green barking in your ear on every defensive possession and eventually the potentially the crowd going crazy in the playoffs we'll see how everything COVID goes but the crowd in Oracle well formerly Oracle now Chase Center yeah Chase Center the crowd in Chase Center is the most ruckus crowd in the league they go crazy when Steph hits a three it's hard not to feed off that energy coming from Minnesota where you're really cheering for nothing as a fan you're cheering for constant bottom feeder teams and the energy of Golden State is different and you'll see Wiggins be more selective with his offense this year shoot a better percentage from three and play better defense and Oubre already a great motivated player and he'll continue to shine there i expect his three-point attempts to increase just because there'll be a lot more open shots for him and he is a guy who already has some of that draymond green fire in him but this team will function better than some expect and their offense you may say that they can shut down steph curry but they didn't have threats last year when you were playing with D'Angelo Russell who just stands at the top the whole game when Steph was playing and Eric Paschal who improved as the season went on but still wasn't a great player but this year between Wiggins, Oubre and Wiseman down low you have more threats and Steph will continue to come off those four screens and hit that three at the top or come off that baseline screen and hit the three in the corner so this team should continue to be a threat, although they're not a championship contender with without Clay there. Yeah, I agree. Here, here's my thing against them. Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are not Clay Thompson. And and what I mean is that teams don't guard Oubre and Wiggins like they guard Thompson. Like you literally have to face guard Thompson like every time he's off the ball, or else you're gonna lose him and he's just gonna like hit a three in like within millimeters of of, of airspace that he gets. So Having that element out, out of your team for this season really changes the way teams guard Steph. And and they're they're going to be okay where they add that extra help defender to, to extend out to Steph to just deny the pass and allow that allow Ubre or Wiggins to take that shot. Because Ubre, sure, he's like a thirty percent three point shooter, Simmons Wiggins. I, I think they'll do good this year, but in terms of just having that shooter in clay just changes your entire offensive dynamic and how teams guard you. And so when when you watch the Warriors this year, there there's going to be a, a huge change in how they run their offense in terms of, you know, like Steph coming off screen, sure, that's going to be the same. But are they going to execute um, in terms of the role players? Are, are they going to make those open shots? Because there's going to be a bunch of them. And so I, I think that their offense is just going to be very different in terms of how Steph's going to be guarded. How, how they're going to guard Steph when he comes up the court. Like, just those small things, I think, is going to really change um, their their outcome of the season. And what, one more thing about the Warriors is that they don't really have too much of a bench. Like, you got Brad Wanamaker, Damian Lee, Jordan Poole as your other guards, who are, you know, just average players. Ken Bazemore is actually a pretty interesting guy. Um, so, you, you really question the depth of that team. Um, and it really hinges on how much Curry, Draymond, and your other guys can really carry the offensive load and defensively too. So, yeah, yeah, Steph has looked really good in the preseason. I think he's ready to return to top five form. So that's why I have them ranked at number six in this conference. But so. but the question is, is that can he last this entire season? Right. I think so because last year his injury was a freak accident with Aaron Baines to his left hand breaking his wrist and 
you know, he's had those ankle problems in the past, but those haven't surfaced in a while. And I'm looking for a healthy year from Steph and a scary succeed for the Denver Nuggets to face off with. Oh, yeah, that'd be a very interesting matchup. Um, so we're going to move down to the the play-in tournament and who you think is going to be the 7 to 10 seeds. So uh, on my list, I got Warriors, but we already talked about the Warriors. So we got Suns, Rockets, Pelicans, and I'm going to throw in the Kings as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I have Suns, Blazers, Rockets, New Orleans, but I'm not going to talk about the Blazers too much because we've already covered them but Suns man they made a big addition in Chris Paul I watched him last year for my Oklahoma City Thunder and he just changes the culture of a team he has a more talented supporting cast in Phoenix than he did in Oklahoma City so leaving him outside of the playoffs is out of the question to me because you look at OKC last year and they finished fifth and they were two games back of the three seed in Denver and they were just a well-run team who wins clutch games because Chris Paul takes the ball down the stretch. So I have them at seven, and they'd be playing a first play-in game against the Blazers in my rankings. And I would have them winning that. Chris Paul, clutch time, he's as clutch as they come. And he just continues to be a great leader. He continues to be a seamless fit with whatever team he's on apart from the Rockets, but that wasn't a playing style seamless fit. It was James Harden holding the ball for 20 seconds, and that bothered Chris Paul. So you will see Chris Paul be a terrific addition to the Suns. He doesn't take away from them in any way. He helps run that team better, and Oubre's loss is big-ish, but you have Cameron Johnson and Mikael Bridges as the small forwards slash power forwards there and that team should continue to excel and build off their 8-0 in the bubble as Booker and Aiton continue to contribute and Booker reaches not MVP levels but all-star plus levels where he's a top 15-ish player scoring a lot and that team is finally winning games so I have them beating the Blazers or the Warriors as you have them listed I would have the Suns winning that first matchup and then take the Blazers or Warriors against a winner of New Orleans or the Rockets, in my case. The Rockets, I left them out of the playoffs, but if they keep James Harden, I don't find a way to leave them out of the playoffs. It's just a huge question mark for me in the Western Conference. Like You have nine teams who are legit playoff teams, but the play-in games will keep you with 10 teams there, but only eight teams will really make the playoffs, and I don't know which team to leave out. So I left the Rockets at nine right now. The Rockets, they have John Wall, Cousins, and Wood. Wood is a great addition. He was great for Detroit last year. He's a really versatile player. But if the seeding works out how I expect, I expect the Rockets to beat New Orleans. New Orleans is better with Adams and Bledsoe in the long run. But the short-term loss of Drew Holiday will really hurt that team. And so they're outside of the playoffs for me. The Rockets would win a play-in game if they played them. And I would leave the Rockets outside of the playoffs if the Blazers or Warriors had to play the Rockets just because you're either dealing with a lot of dysfunction in James Harden being there or James Harden is traded and that team looks totally different. So the Rockets are the hardest team to predict in the Western Conference, but we just have to deal with that when ranking before this season actually starts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with your picks. Um, I, I'm just going to backtrack back to the Suns for, for a little bit. Um, I don't think they really lost anything in terms of uh, letting Kelly Uber go just because Mikael Bridges and Cameron Johnson are like really good candidates to actually fill that spot at the three. And you have... Also, good veteran players in Jay Crowder, too, who who played in the finals last year. And sure, he bricked a lot of shots, but, you know, like he, he brings that element of toughness to that team. So I, I think the Suns could even finish anywhere between the 6th and the 8th seed um, just because they have Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who are big-time shot makers. And even DeAndre Ayton, he's, he's probably a, a big wild-card X-factor this season. Um, 
because he's he's a player who's really good at everything, but he's not really good at one specific thing. And and the question is like, do you really push him to that that one thing you he wants to be good at? Like, is he gonna be a really great shooter? Is he gonna really be a really great defender? Like rim runner? Like, what's he gonna be? So I I think that. DeAndre Ayton's um, progress as a player is going to be a very interesting thing to watch this year. Um, losing like 25 games last season with his PED thing kind of hurt him a lot. But I, I think you'd expect a huge bounce back season from Ayton. He's going to really um, be confident in his game, especially his shooting. And you know how good of a defender he is. So it'll be very interesting to watch that team. Um, in terms of like the rest of the play-in games, yeah, I agree. I want to throw in the Kings for a little bit. Just because, looking at their roster, they're actually not too bad on paper. But, at the same time, I don't think they're going to be that good. But just because on paper their roster looks good, um, what are your thoughts on their, their potential this season? Yeah, well, when I look at the Sacramento Kings, I see them as a team with three players who are good solid players and De'Aaron Fox who should be an all-star this year Buddy Heald he got benched last year for Bogdan but he is one of the best shooters in the league and Marvin Bagley I feel like he's going to actually have a big year this year because when he's played he's he's been an effective offensive player and he's gotten a lot of rebounds and he's helped that team but I didn't put them at 10 because Luke Walton has really messed up team chemistry there. I mean, benching Buddy Heald for Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is a free agent the next year, and you you have a team who's been built around Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox, and then you go and screw that up by benching Buddy Heald. I don't think that this Kings team responds well to Luke Walton, and I envision them making a coaching change at some time this year but also the addition of Hassan Whiteside was solid after a career year last year and eyeing him at veterans minimum could pay dividends for them down the stretch yeah I mean the thing with Heald and benching him last year I I, I agree but the Walton probably did that just because they wanted to make the playoffs but you know it that wasn't realistic like he yeah yes he made that move just because he wants to break that drought of of no playoffs for like the past what 15 years but in terms of of a longevity longevity standpoint and looking long term you can't bench heal like sure you won a bit more games with heal on the bench but in terms of his his progress in his career you have to play as give him as much reps as possible um so i think that really hurt hurt them um in terms of their progress in chemistry but yeah i i agree with you um they got they got a couple veteran players who are who are solid and and the thing about bagley is that Sure, he he's really good offensively, but there's a lot of questions about his defense, and he he's going to be a huge question mark in general in terms of how he's going to play this season. Like he got off a rocky start this season because he was I think he was sick, or I don't think he had, did he have COVID? I don't know, but he had some sort of illness, and like just coming off the huge layoff, it's it's going to really show some rust on him. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch the Kings, though. They're really fun, too. Yeah, I have questions why people continually think Luke Walton is a good coach, though. Like, his years with the Lakers, they were terrible. He was never seen as a good coach. Yeah, like, if you forget yeah. about the Lakers' year before this year when they won the championship, that goes down as one of the funniest seasons of all time. Like, there are some clips of that season. LeBron throwing the inbounds pass to the back of the backboard and Lance playing the air guitar and... Wow, Luke Walton led that season, and you look at his his coaching history. Yeah, he won twenty three or twenty four straight with the Warriors in at the start of the year when Steve Kerr was out. I believe, I believe it was twenty sixteen seventeen. It's the Warriors. Yeah, it's the Warriors. I'm pretty sure that I could coach them to twenty straight. Yeah, we we could co coach them. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Like he just doesn't show anything he doesn't show young player progression he doesn't show team cohesion people continually think that he's a good coach but i don't see it man like yeah i agree and just because you brought up lance stevenson it just makes me think how much i miss him (laughs) how much i miss you know like all the no look passes all like the the funny like antics he does on the court 
the league just needs Lance Stevenson back. Bring him back from China, man. Someone. Yeah, true. He's got to come back to if, the if, Lakers. So if if Jeremy Lin can come back to the Warriors reportedly today, Lance Stevenson can probably land a contract with somebody. Like we we need that guy right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So do you have any comments on the Rockets? Not not too much. I think people sleep a lot on John Wall just because he came off uh, two years of not playing. But after seeing him play in the preseason, he's got his athleticism mostly back. And yeah, because people haven't watched him in two years, people forget how much of a threat he was offensively, how athletic this dude is. Um, and pairing up with uh, Boogie Cousins and Christian Wood, um, I think he's going to develop a lot of chemistry between those guys. The only question is, is Harden, obviously, and he managed to gain 25 pounds over the past week. Um, who knows what, what's that going to do to his game? Um, and in terms of just, I, I don't want to talk too, too much about Harden, but he's just that kid who pouts. He's that kid who's just so spoiled, and I don't think he's going to get traded at all this season. You can't, if you're if you're the Sixers, if you're the, the Heat, if you're the Nets, you can't possibly make a trade give up your assets for a guy who who there was an article written for him just bashing his career <laughs> and and what he did with the rockets so and also like what if what if the sixers are the second seed or the third seed and you're halfway into the season would you even trade ben simmons for james harden if you feel like everything's working really well with doc rivers and his, his coaching staff with ben simmons joel and b and all those guys like are you willing to even give up your current assets for a guy like james harden no so when i saw the trade offers for ben simmons and harden it was ben simmons and three first round picks for james harden i was shocked because I would go the other way around and say Harden and a first-round pick or two first-round picks should be going to Philly for for Ben Simmons. And you read these articles about James Harden. There's a great one on ESPN right now written by Tim McMahon. And it, it goes into detail about how Harden was treated in Houston, how the team accommodated everything that he wanted to do. And he just ruined their culture. I can't believe that Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Chris Paul lived through two years of that. And Russell Westbrook, the most dedicated player in the league, had to live through a year of that. They didn't go too vocal with wanting out. They did want out. But, man, those those guys do not fit that culture at all. Their careers are the exact opposite of what James Harden does with his. And, yeah, the, the Rockets should move on from James Harden but I'm having a tough time finding a reasonable trade partner for them I think you look at John Wall and Christian Wood was awesome last game I mean he had 27 and 10 last preseason game and he's like I've said before he's dynamic and this team has a couple of solid pieces you could build a playoff contender around the team without James Harden and that's the direction you need to go I don't know what the Knicks or someone like that could give up for a James Harden, although I know they'd want him. You have to look at all options at this point if you're the Rockets. Yeah, I mean, even going back to the Sixers, if you're Dale Amari or Doc Rivers, would you want to risk your your team chemistry to get James Harden just because you have a guy like Joel Embiid on your team? Like, you, you know that you've already won all-in with the Sixers the past two, even three years. Do you want to risk going all-in again and just giving up like Ben Simmons for James Harden to try to win an NBA Finals, right? I don't think it's just a, a feasible trade to make. It's not suited to the culture of the Sixers. It's not even suited to the culture of any team, <laughs> like like in general, right? So, and, and the thing about Harden is that he, he can't decide where he wants to go. Like, he's it's a trade it's not like a free agent signing so the rockets could really just deal him for their own benefit and just get like a bunch of picks or you know like deal him to the knicks right and and get like a good batch of players so yeah it's it's a very uh bad bad situation for harden right now and it'll be really interesting to see how he's going to play with the rockets if he even plays this year yeah um given given just the 
how the team got a bit worse. Yeah, for sure. So any any last any last thoughts in terms of what are your potential surprises in the Western Conference? Are there any teams that can even teams that we haven't even mentioned yet? Like, are there even any teams that have the potential to make some really unexpected noise? Mm, my short point is that the West is stacked and there is not going to be any teams who are massive surprises outside of these 10 who could make it. The West is just too good, and these 10 teams are above the rest. Sacramento could be included as an 11th, and Minnesota, you could you could make an argument that they'll show great improvement this year, but I don't see the playoff picture changing much from this. And So, yeah, not really any great surprises. The Mavs are a legit contender if KP comes back. The Jazz with Bojan could be really good. I mean, they almost beat the Nuggets last year. So, Yeah. Um, so now that we went through the previews of both conferences, what are your final predictions for who's going to meet in the NBA Finals and who's going to come on top? Yeah, well, first I'll state that I believe the Western Conference Finals will include the Lakers and the Clippers. It's pretty lame to say, but I expect those two teams to, after a terrible year from the Clippers last year in the postseason, I expect them to right the ship. They don't have Montrez Harrell, who is really a liability in their playoff games last year. I expect the Clippers to have a comeback year. And so I expect them to meet the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. I expect the finals to be Brooklyn and the Lakers. Yeah, I agree. Um, the thing about the Clippers is, yeah, I, I totally agree with your take on the Clippers. Like, Paul George and, and Pandemic P, or who, whatever you want to call him, has been just totally overblown, and has totally been blown out of proportion in terms of how good of a player he actually is and how good of a shooter he is. And so it's just the the hate that the media give towards the Clippers is just so unproportional and and really unrealistic of what the Clippers team can do this season. So I I got the Lakers and Clippers too in the Western Conference Finals, and I have the Nets and Lakers meeting in the finals. Um, and I the Lakers are probably going to win again. I I see another repeat season for them. What do you think? Yeah, I do see another repeat season for them. I think they probably stand at this point to have a thirty percent chance overall to repeat, which is much higher than the next team which would probably be the clippers one thing to watch out for in this western conference is the mavs finishing at third or sixth and the clippers finishing at seventh or at second because the matchup between the mavs and clippers will be a dogfight that if they match up in the second round of the playoffs that that series will go a full seven that's my guess yeah so yeah, the Clippers won't have it. The Clippers for sure won't have it easy for them in the playoffs, especially if they're going to face the Mavs or Nuggets. They're they're for sure going to get a lot of flashbacks from last year, and and how tough it was to even get through the Mavericks and obviously losing to the Nuggets. So I think that's going to really, it's really going to take a hit on them. But we'll see how resilient they are in terms of the playoffs. Um, one last thing before I wrap up. What's one? Um, what's one hidden headline that you you expect to watch this season, or what's one really interesting thing about the season, Eastern or Western Conference? What what do you think? What what are you going to pay attention to the most this season? The thing that I'm going to pay attention to the most this season is Jamal Murray and how he responds to an awesome playoff run last year. The Denver Nuggets are a stacked team, but you should look at Jamal Murray as a legitimate top 20 player in the league, an all-star. But I don't know if he'll achieve that in the regular season. And that could doom them to fall to fourth and have a second round matchup with the Lakers. So I'd like to see how he performs this year. And that would be a key thing for me to watch as a Canadian fan for one. And as a fan of what Denver has going on there. Yeah. In terms of me, you probably already know, but it's going to be the Blazers for me. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. They're my number one team. And just, yeah, just, just knowing that they can score against anybody really just shows that they have the potential. If you know, the, the dominoes fall their way, if, if everything goes their way, they could potentially 
upset a bunch of teams in the playoffs. So yeah, but I don't know. That that's pretty biased for me. But yeah, that's that's all we got for this this edition's this edition of the pod. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram and uh, let us know if you have any questions. We're gonna post our fantasy teams from our league, and and you guys can you know see who's the best. I think I'm. We're, we're gonna see each other in the finals, Nate. I think it's gonna be that year. Yeah, it's always tough to gauge fantasy teams because you always ask your other fantasy league members, oh, how do you think my team is? And they obviously think their team is better because they drafted those guys. So you give us our honest feedback yeah. for this. All right. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening to the pod. Uh, we'll be back with another edition soon. Um, yeah. And until next time, see you guys later. <laughs>